let's let's dive in. We're starting a new series, and we're calling it uh, we're calling it <laughs> called the Five Solas, uh, the Five Solas of the Reformation. Um, and we're going to look at each one, sort of one week at a time, which makes sense. But today will also serve as somewhat of an overview of what are we talking about and why are we spending time on these uh, important doctrines. And, um, and so let's dive into that. So what are the five solas? Um, and along the way, I might pause and ask you all questions and certainly stop me if you have questions along the way. Uh, but what are the five solas? We, we like to say the five solas are, are a helpful way of summarizing some of the core uh, reformed uh, teaching about scripture, certainly, but especially salvation. What's the nature of our salvation in Christ? And uh, we'll look at the five in just a moment. Uh, but let's think about what they aren't, right? If, if you walked up to Martin Luther uh, the day that he nailed the 95 theses, you know, October 31st, more than 500 years ago, and said, hey, Martin Luther, can you tell me the five solas of the Reformation? Do you know what he would say? What? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no. So it, it, certainly then, but even years later, after he had been writing and he had broken from Rome, even then, if you said, Martin Luther, what are the five solas? He might think, I'm, I'm not used to that language. But if you said, hey, Martin Luther, is salvation by faith alone? Then he would have his wife brew up some beer and you would talk the rest of the night about faith alone, right? And so these five solas aren't – it's not as if it was something that the reformers themselves wrote out, one, two, three, four, five, and they all sort of subscribed to. Uh, they were developed later as a way of looking back and saying, what's the core of the teaching from the Reformation until now? And we'd say before that, on especially salvation in Christ. Um, and so it becomes just a really helpful summary for us uh, and, a, and a good starting point. Uh, the terminology itself is Latin, right, from only – Sola meaning only, and um, uh, each each one then speaks um, to one aspect of, of believers being saved. And so let's look just very briefly, quickly, bird's eye view. What are the five solas? Um, and then we're going to focus this morning on uh, soli deo gloria, God's glory alone. But let's but let's look at them in, in this order. Here we'll 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 see sola scriptura first, uh, which it means scripture alone. Uh, if you're doing the fill-ins, and stop me if I miss a fill-in. I know the completionists out there will want to uh, get those filled in. But uh, just a note, too, I'm, I, I've drawn these five definitions uh, from the work of Dr. James Anderson. He's a, pro- a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. My very first class in seminary actually went through the five solas of the Reformation and then the five doctrines of grace, uh, what we call Calvinism or, or Reformed theology. That was sort of the structure of the class, and it stuck with me since then. And I haven't found better just succinct definitions than what he gives here. And it, it, certainly I've, some of the work of, of this teaching is, is inspired by his, so I want to give credit where credit's due. So sola scriptura, scripture alone, this is Anderson's definition, although there's other good ones. Uh, the Bible alone is the word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Uh, if you're familiar with the shorter catechism, you'll notice the language is very similar, right? Um, the Bible alone is the word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. We'll look more at this next week uh, with Dennis. Uh, but, you know, certainly there's many scriptures, but we think of 2 Timothy 3.15. Uh, speaking to Timothy, you were from childhood. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
they're sufficient. They give us what we need for a life of faith and godliness. The next verse tells us they're breathed out by God um, and, and, and are God's word, God's authoritative word. Um, and then certainly Matthew 4, 4. I'm sure you could think of other scriptures, and I'll let Dennis take us away next week on, on scripture alone. Uh, next, we think of sola fide, which is faith alone. Um, and certainly that, in, in one sense, that becomes the focal point when we think of the five solas in many ways. Uh, faith alone, we are forgiven our sins and counted righteous in God's sight solely by trusting in Christ. Solely by trusting in Christ. Uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. You notice Paul's just emphasis. He wants you to get uh, what we think we see clearly, that it's salvation is by faith alone. In Christ alone, as we'll see uh, next. So solus Christus. And you notice not all of the solas are solas. Uh, I'm not a Latin expert, but Latin, like Spanish or some other languages, have gender. And so, uh, unlike English, so um, I, I couldn't tell you which one is which, but solus Christus matching the word Christus, and we'll see with soli Deo Gloria as well. Solus Christus then is Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners, and his atoning sacrifice is sufficient to save them. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Or Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And again, we'll spend time on each of these. So we're just getting the forest here. Next is on page two is sola gratia, grace alone. Salvation is not earned in any way. It's a free gift of God from start to finish. Or we could say from A to Z. It's all of grace. And we'll talk more about that even in today. Um, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Again, that Ephesians passage. And then we come to uh, our topic for today, soli deo gloria, God's glory alone. And we'll spend more time on this, but uh, the ultimate end of all God's, uh, it should be works there, all of God's works in creation and redemption is his own glory alone is his own glory alone and we'll look we'll look at some of the verses coming up so i I, I won't uh spoil those as it were just as we i'm going to say a few things about the five solas together before we dive into our one for today but i want to hear from you which of the five solas would you say you've probably heard the most about and teaching on and then i'll ask the opposite but of those five you say oh yeah i've i've heard a decent amount about this sola of the five. I'm just curious. Okay, so you've kind of heard all five of them to get good. That's good. Okay, like faith alone, Christ alone. You've seen those emphasized. Which ones, if you had to pick one that maybe you've heard the least about, is there a sola that just in your own experience, huh, I don't know if I've ever... Heard that one as much? Scripture. Okay, scripture alone. Yeah, maybe not as much teaching on that. Anyone else? Soli Deo Gloria. Yeah, nice, the long one. That's good. That's the logo for it. No, yeah. Right? It's the hardest one to say, too. 
right? Well, as we think of, as we think of these, we're going to look at Solar Deo Gloria, the long one. But the next felon says, no, no sola stands alone. No sola stands alone. So they stand for alone, but they don't stand alone. Um, these, these five uh, go together. Uh, and uh, perhaps you've heard the saying, salvation is by faith alone. But saving faith is never alone. Have you heard that saying before? Meaning we're saved by faith alone, and we'll cover this later. Um, but when we're saved, we, it outpours in good works, right? If you go to the book of James, right? I'll show you my faith by my works. So I'm saved by faith, and it outpours in good works. So you have to get the order right. Well, in, the, in, a, in a similar way, uh, the solas themselves sort of rise and fall together. Um, or to put it a different way, if you can prove scripturally, one of the solas, um, you've actually done a lot of the work to proving all of them because we see them as being interconnected. Um, it's, it's like um, some of the parks have those big webbed rope structures. Have you seen those? And, and, and when a kid's all the way at the top sort of dancing and, and their parents are having a heart attack, um, some of the roping at the very bottom is also shaking, right? The whole thing is connected um, together. And, um, and, and I think you instinctively know this. So let me just work with a couple examples from those five solas, even before we dive into it, and give me a stab at why you think these two go together. So what about faith alone? We're saved by faith alone and grace alone. Can someone take a stab at why would those go together? Yeah, I mean, it's, the scripture itself often puts them together. <laughs> That's a great, Okay. Any other, any logical connections between faith alone and, and grace alone? You didn't think you'd be teaching today, but, but you're helping us all out. What do you think, Martine? Faith alone, grace alone? Yeah, good. Yeah. That's good. That's a good thought. So Martine's saying... Faith alone and grace alone go together because they remind you that faith itself isn't, it's certainly something we, we do, but it, it's a gift of God, like Ephesians says. It's grace working through us. It's not as if, it's 99% grace, but then it's 1% faith, which is this work that you have to do. Okay, that's good. Okay, what about Christ alone and scripture alone? Why would those be connected? Like you're making me think at nine thirteen in the morning. John, it's dangerous. John one passage with the word. Okay. Connection between the Oh, good. I wasn't even thinking about that. That's perfect. Yeah, Christ Himself being the Word of God. I love that. Okay. Any other connections between Christ alone and Scripture alone? What if someone said, "Okay, you say salvation's by Christ alone." Says who? Nice. Yeah. The word of God tells us. We, we saw that passage in, in Acts. Well, it, keep that in mind as we go. And, and when we, Lord willing, when we, toward the end of the teaching today, once we've sort of explored Soli Deo Gloria, I want to show you, and hopefully you'll see it, um, that, for instance, this one sola affects and is informed by all the other ones. Um, and so, okay, let's, let's dive in then. Soli Deo Gloria. So we're on page two in the outline if you're following along. Under that heading, Soli Deo Gloria, let's define it again. We just saw that, but again, Dr. Anderson's definition is really helpful. 
with our one correction, the ultimate end of God's works in creation and redemption is his own glory alone. Is his own glory alone. Let's, let's unpack that. And then along the way, we'll be looking at the scriptural warrant for it, of course. So, uh, so that next fill-in, God's ultimate purpose is to glorify God. God's ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Uh, I trust that you know the first question of our catechism, what is the chief end of man? It's another way of saying, what's the ultimate purpose of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To put it bluntly, that means that God would answer question one in one sense the same way. God's chief end is to glorify God. Or to put it another way, what, why does God do what he does? What's the ultimate reason that he does anything that he does? We would say is for his own glory, to glorify himself. Now, of course, question one flows out of who God is and why he does what he does. It's not the other way around. God didn't read the shorter catechism and change how he works. <laughs> it's flowing out of my chief end as a creature should line up with the chief end of the creator. The, the purpose, if I should ask, what is my, why does my creator do what he does? Why did he make me? Therefore, my chief end is to glorify him and enjoy him uh, forever. Dustin? Yes. It reminds me of a book, a Christian author, a book of, I was going to an Armenian church at the time. Okay. And uh, uh, he talked about God being so lonely that he needed to create man Right. To have somebody to give his love to. And uh, that just you know, fits in so well. That's right. That's right. That's a big problem. Dave's saying, yeah, what we're not saying is that God's glory was somehow limited or he needed creatures in order to sort of fulfill his glory or fulfill his needs. Uh, he, was, he was content, as it were, within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, enjoying himself forever, if we want to carefully use that language, that there really was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, love between them eternally before anything was made, before time, right? And so any, uh, yeah, we're, Dave's getting me off, off, off course here, but it, it, you can see how big this is, right? Uh, the other solas get, are big as well, but soli deo gloria gets to not just salvation, but why does God do what he does? I mean, that's, that's a huge question, right? Um, now someone might object, right? Someone, even a Bible believing person might hear that and say, wait, God's ultimate end is to glorify God. But doesn't scripture say God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, right? Isn't, doesn't scripture have this emphasis on self-denial and, uh, humbleness, um, uh, of course, if I asked you, we'll keep trucking along here. If I asked you, you could give some good answers too. But um, you notice there's a difference between creator and creature. God is the only being for whom self-glorification is not a selfish thing. Um, it's, it's the most right thing possible. Um, and, and as we'll see, it's not disconnected from his love for his people. The most loving thing God can do, one of the most loving things he could do is, is, is call us to glorify him and empower us to glorify him. 
because it's actually what's best for us as his creatures as well. And so this is true in his works, uh, the definition says, of creation and salvation or redemption. So let's just very quickly, uh, the next fill-in, his work of creation. Uh, we, we start big and then we'll zoom in on salvation. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Um, or, or the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God, right? We, it sets the tone right away <laughs> that God is calling the shots. God is the creator. Everything else is created um, uh, within the creation. And, and it has a purpose. If God does everything he does to glorify himself, he's made the creation to glorify him as well, uh, as it does day by day, even on a nice fall day like, like today. Um, right? If, if, if someone hired a pilot to spell their name in the clouds, um, you wouldn't just say like, oh, that's neat, or that's a great accident that it sort of point. No, it, it's purposeful. God puts his fingerprints on everything um, so that uh, Romans 1 tells us believers and unbelievers alike know that he is God, whether they love him or not. Um, and, and there's other verses we could say. That Isaiah 43 uh, just right at the very end, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, right? You, you see that purpose in cre- creating his people. So creation, certainly, his work of salvation, in some ways, is what we focus on when we talk about the five solas. And so his work of salvation, uh, John, it, 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 and it's good to note here, John, is almost by way of, Side note, but it, and sort of to Dave's point, John seventeen five, Jesus prays, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Right? So Jesus being God, he, he is praying that he would be glorified. And then when the disciples in Matthew 28 fall down and worship him, he doesn't say, no, no, no stop, stop. No, he accepts the worship, right? Because he is God. Uh, it, 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 is, uh, it is fitting that Christ would pray for his own glory. Even as fully human, he experiences the humiliation of the cross uh, and then the exaltation of the resurrection. Um, but it, when we think of the work of salvation, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we've, we, we've talked about Ephesians. Ephesians 1 and 2 is just, you can really see most of the soul as it work in these passages. But let me just show you briefly Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Verses that you're probably familiar with. Right, Ephesians 1, 3 through uh, 14 is just this amazing... We've meditated on it before. You see the Father, Son, Holy Spirit at work in salvation. But for now, let me just show you that he had an ultimate purpose even in saving us. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now that's a purpose too, that we be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now you see all sorts of purpose at work there. He sanctifies us. It's in love. 
But you see, ultimately, it's to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glorious grace. Even his work of salvation is ultimately, not only, but ultimately for his uh, own glory alone, as, as the definition says. But let's pause and say, what does it mean to glorify God? We've been using that term a lot. Um, John Murray has this definition that I think is really helpful. Uh, so you could see that on page three toward the top. Uh, to give glory to God is to reckon God to be what he is and to rely upon his power and faithfulness. To glorify God is to reckon God to be what he is and to rely upon his power and faithfulness. To Dave's point earlier, it's not somehow giving God something that he has a hole in his heart that's missing or like his glory level was at 80% and now we're helping fill up the 20%. It is the creatures and the creation itself recognizing and proclaiming and sharing in, uh, delighting in the glory that he has in his being and in his acts. Um, To glorify, to magnify, to make much of him is to recognize, love, delight in, and then share, proclaim, and invite others to do the same. His glory. We've said this before, but the true uh, God glorifier is more an astronomer uh, than he or she is a lab worker, meaning the God glorifier, it's like a telescope, not a microscope. A microscope takes things that are actually small and makes them seem larger than they are. A telescope takes things that are actually huge, they're just far away, and brings them into view um, to see them as they really are, right? My, My dad got this powerful telescope, just, you know, the most powerful I've ever looked through. And we looked up at the moon and you could see the shadows, you know, that the craters were casting. And the moon's always up there, but it, it brings it into view sort of how glorious it really is. And that's what it means to glorify God. And then to rely upon his power and faithfulness. There's that active. Uh, yeah, Dave. Uh, it seems like um, thinking about this, giving God the glory really starts in our thinking about him. It starts in our mind. Sure. And it works out in our lives. But correctly thinking about him the way the Bible uh, sure. The way he describes himself in the Bible is what keeps us from idolatry, forming a God that, according to our own thoughts. That's right. That's right. No, I think that's really good. So let's, let's ask this question as we um, continue in our time here. Uh, I want to watch the clock to make sure we're leaving room for questions too. But let's start making that connection. Why is solely Deo glory? We've sort of talked about, okay, his purpose in all things to glorify himself, including salvation. Why is this one of the five solas? Or uh, like on page three, why must salvation be to God's glory alone? If we're arguing that, we're saying salvation is ultimately for God's glory alone. Um, We we looked at that Ephesians 2 passage, right? Uh, By grace, you've been saved through faith. We get those solas. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians makes that connection that implicitly is if salvation was 99% of God and 1% even of man, uh, then we would have 1% reason to boast, to say, I had something or I was smarter than or 
Uh, I was already righteous enough. I'm still humble. I'm not perfect. But we would have something to point to. Uh, whereas the believer says, no, it's, it's a gift of God. I, I was dead and now I'm alive, right? A, 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 someone who goes into the hospital and has to have their heart restarted doesn't go around boasting about how strong their heart was. Uh, they just glory that they're alive. They're like, I was dead, now I'm alive. Uh, it, it, it's like this. If someone came to you with a book manuscript, draft, you know, a draft of a, of a novel, you know, it's a thousand pages, You'd be impressed, hopefully. It takes a long time to do that. But then they said, well, caveat, I used an AI to do some of the work. Already you're not as impressed, and you say, how much work? Only 50%. So I used an AI to generate 50%, but I still, I mean, I put thousands of hours into this book still. Are you 50% impressed or 0% impressed? <laughs> right? It's, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not as if you're like, well, they did do 50% of the work, so I'm 50% impressed now. <laughs> no, I mean, it, you're in the negative at that point, right? Um, and it, 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 in some sense, it's the same way with salvation. If we could boast even in 1% of the work, um, we would say that it's not all of God. Whereas, you know, even uh, Jonah in the, in the belly of the whale says salvation belongs to the Lord. From A to Z, it's his work uh, in me by grace. Um, any questions? Let me pause for questions at this point, And then we'll very quickly just glance at some of the Westminster standards and then make some implications before our time here is done. We have about 12 minutes left. Any questions at this stage? We've sort of laid out trying to define what Soli Deo Gloria is talking about. Any questions prop up in your mind? As... I, I have a thought. About, yep. Yeah, quite often well, when we talk about this, uh, we, we talk about ourselves and about God and his work. But off, off to the side is also the devil. And God, for his own purposes, created these fallen creatures that would have a tremendous effect on his whole plan of salvation and his whole creation. That's right. And and when Christ died on the cross, he not only paid for our sins, but he defeated the devil. That's right. I I always try to remind myself of that because there's things going on cosmically beyond our own human relations within God's plan and within his perfect, perfect will. That's right. No, that's right. Yeah, and even that reminder that this edges into other teachings we've done and will do on God's sovereignty, that he even uses sinful actions like the actions of the devil or like we see this morning, the actions of the Roman officials, the Jewish leaders who are mocking, putting Christ on the cross. The most evil act in all of human history wasn't something that God had to finagle for his glory, but it was plan A from from before time. And there's mystery there, and we... We think, wait, what? <laughs> but, um, but that's the good news is that it's, it's all for his own glory. Um, and we see that it, just very quickly. I tried to highlight for you, and you can look up later in, in the Westminster Standards themselves. Uh, when I was listening back to Dr. Anderson's work, he, he says there's not a chapter on soli deo gloria or a chapter on God's glory, but it's just interdispersed throughout our standards. Um, and so you could see, for instance, chapter 2, Section one, talking about the creation and, and even God's being, uh, you know, there is 
but one living and true God and, and, and all those wonderful attributes. Um, he works all things for the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering. So thinking of who God is and his purpose, the divines rightly say it's all for his own glory. Uh, and then to Dave's point in ch- section two there, God hath all life, glory, blessedness in himself and is alone in and unto himself, all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his glory in, by, unto, and upon them. Right? He's like the fountain of life. It's not as if we're producing some sort of living water that's coming. No, he's, he's the one producing, sharing with us, reflecting it back to him. Um, and then at chapter 5, section 1, uh, this uh, uh, his work of creation and, and, and preserving all things is to the praise of his glory, to the praise, sorry, of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, uh, and, and mercy. And there's a couple of verses there to reflect on. And, and later in the, in, the, in the confession, section 11.3, we're just flying through these. You could reflect later. Their justification is only a free grace that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. You see the connection between those solas. They don't use that language, but grace alone, faith alone, and soli deo gloria, they're all connected there. Let's, with the time we have left, let's uh, defend this a little bit, um, both from... Uh, legitimate brothers and sisters in Christ who might hear this doctrine and say, I don't know, there's parts of it I don't like, or I, maybe they're not as familiar. So, or Roman Catholics or other uh, that might bring these sort of objections. So objection one, um, and I'm trying to just state it like the person might state it. Uh, this means, soli deo gloria means that God only cares about his glory and does not love anyone or anything else. How might you answer that objection? Now that we've spent some time on these verses, I'll offer some thoughts as well. But yeah, Georgia. Um, one of God's uh, characteristics is love, which means that in glorifying God, he is not only glorifying love. That's great. I love that. Yeah, part of His glory is is His whole being and character, including love. God is love. I I hadn't thought of that connection. That's wonderful. What else might you say if someone said, this means that God only cares about his glory, does not love anyone else? I'd say Jesus the Christ is our only Savior. Yeah. Yeah. His sacrifice okay. is sufficient for us for to be able to, Amen. to, 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 to come to God. Yeah. And, and sort of this ultimate act of love, the, the sacrifice on the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gianna. Bringing glory to him, mm. he glorifies himself through loving us. Yeah, so love, love is often an instrument that God uses to, and we use to glorify him, right. right? Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. <laughs> so it's, it, I love that. I think that's really good. Depending on the audience. Hey, Martin, go for it. You could ask, why would that be a bad thing? Nice. And Paul, but that's a different yeah, we we sick Martine on him. It's good. 
No, but that's right. I mean, if, depending on depending on your situation, yeah, you could go deeper and and say, well, yeah, why would it be bad? Or in your mind, it's bad if God doesn't love. But why? I mean, you know, by what standard? That's a good. That's always a good. Any of these questions, you could do that with. We, we um, might also consider the fact that each one of us is lonely here and and is living because God ordains that we are alive at this moment. Sure. He ordains that we are here to talk about His glory. So that's uh, good. Everything that exists, everything that He's created, uh, is really an evidence that He He loves His creation and the fact that we're here. So that's for His glory, but that's right. also uh, it shows His love for His creation, including each one of us. That's good. That's great. Yep. His love is presupposed in that we're even having this conversation, right? He's giving us breath and life and everything. Um, I, sort of like Cecil was saying, just, just the there's many good answers we could give, but yeah, thinking of and and what's been said, yeah, his love and his glory are not disconnected. Um, and when we think about salvation, I mean John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I remember when I was first being introduced to sort of some of these reformed ideas and God's sovereignty. And um, I I remember going to my college pastor and and saying, oh, yeah, God only starts to love us because Jesus died for us. And now he's able to love us because I was trying to magnify God's sovereignty and our sinfulness. And so I thought I was making this great connection. And he was like, do you know John 316? (laughs) So we're like diving into these big passages about God's sovereignty. And he just brought me back and said, and he could have gone to Ephesians 1. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. Right? This is before time. So Christ, as we see this morning, is, is remaining on the cross in love, ultimately for God's glory. And these are connected. Uh, they're not uh, disconnected. There's more we could say, but let's go to the next objection with, with the time we have. Doesn't Scripture say that God will glorify his people? Doesn't that contradict sola scriptura? This is a more of a definitional sort of objection, but I've heard it, and I've heard people wrestle with, like Romans 8.30 uh, says, uh, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And after just talking about all the things we talked about, wait, I thought we just saw, we didn't actually read that Isaiah passage, but God says, I, I am the Lord, I, I don't share my glory with another, <laughs> right, against idols and any other... Well, you could probably give the right answer, but let me just give it for us for the sake of time. This is a definitional thing, meaning um, certainly we know scripturally that it doesn't mean that God is going to set up humans as sort of objects of worship or to be glorified in the way that he's glorified. Uh, Romans 8 earlier puts it this way, Romans 8, 16 through 17, says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. This is one way of looking. In other words, the the scriptural idea of being glorified, uh, and we talk about our glorification one day, is not that we're looking forward to or even desire that we would be worshipped or no, that's the last thing a a, a believer wants, but it's, it's that we're sharing in this full glory. Um, sin is done away with. Uh, we're given what we call 
glorified or redeemed bodies. It's, it's the fulfillment of, of all the things we're talking about. And so I think that objection is more of a definitional. They see this, you see the same word, and it's good to ask questions and say, wait, I thought we just said that we aren't glorified. Let's go to number three. Uh, you are saying that Christians for thousands of years did not truly have the gospel because they could not articulate soli deo gloria. I've heard this objection. Roman Catholics will bring this objection. Uh, and others too. I, even Christians saying, even a Christian who might say, yeah, it's a, it's a good summary, it's a good biblical doctrine, but I think you're saying that unless someone can articulate what we just talked about for the last 30 minutes, then they're not really a Christian. And so then we ask the question, is soli deo gloria essential to the gospel? And this is one of those yes and no situations. Yes, in substance, in the sense that a, a, a true believer is given a new heart. He, he makes us to desire the things of God. And if God's ultimate purpose in all things is to glorify himself, he's redeeming and regenerating our hearts so that we then would become God glorifiers. So whether we know the language or not, he's making us into true worshipers of the living God. And so in substance, it's, it's essential. It's part of the gospel. But no in the sense that, um, I, just like any good doctrine, it, it, you don't make it an essential that someone is able to articulate this exact line. Uh, we're going to see the thief on the cross today who says, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And then Jesus said, do you believe in soli deo gloria? <laughs> And the man was like, what is Latin? Um, no, like, it, and yet the man on the cross is living out soli deo gloria because he's saying, you're the Christ. I don't know many things. You're the Christ. I know that if I trust you, if I plead with you, remember me, you're the king, I'm coming to you. So he's living out soli deo gloria, even if he couldn't articulate um, uh, the, the doctrine itself. Uh, yes, Dave. I'm thinking that one of the things God created was time. And he created time as part of his eternal purpose for his creation to work itself out according to his plan. And in, in time, he has revealed himself gradually. It's, he, it's, a, it's a kind of a process. So the early, early believers didn't understand what we do now at this part of time because God has gradually... Revealed himself, and the, That's right. of course, the, the huge thing was the coming of Christ suddenly That's right. recognizing the significance of the Godhead and, and all this. So uh, it's a good thing to keep in mind when people talk about the right. back uh, even before Christ came. Uh, they That's right. didn't have the, the revelation that we have because God works through processes. That's a, good, that's a good word. Even within Scripture itself, there's a development of theology, and we shouldn't be afraid of that. That's by God's design. And then in church history then, I think sometimes people criticize and say, oh, doctrine doesn't develop. We don't mean that we're making up new things. We mean that we're discovering more and more clearly what Scripture has always taught. Um, and so let's look at the – with the couple minutes we have left here, we'll, we'll push just to 945 so we can get everyone to their, the, their next things. This means that – only worship, Bible study, and prayer glorify God. All other pursuits are idolatry. This comes from a good place. And most people would never articulate it this way. Um, but, but I think it, 
and there's a teaching for another time, but I think we can look at Soli Deo Gloria and we've been using this word over and over again, ultimate purpose. God's ultimate purpose is to glorify himself. It doesn't mean it's his only purpose. It's his ultimate. It's everything else points to that. Uh, but we've already said he's, he has an ultimate purpose, but within that is his purpose to love his people, uh, his, his purpose to magnify even his justice. Um, his, we could go on and on about God's purposes. Similarly, God has made us human beings who ultimately, chief end, glorify God, enjoy him forever. But we do that through so many of the good things that he's given us to do. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I mean, that covers everything. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, even our work. Or Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives. I mean, any imperative in the New Testament is it's ultimately to glorify God, but we do it through obedience. Uh, we do it through evangelism. We do it through loving our neighbor. Uh, we do it even through resting as he's commanded us to do resting, enjoying um, uh, uh, the good things that he's given us. And so it, it's this expansive view of the Christian life, which I think really opens up for us. But let's, let's just turn very briefly to solely dear glory in the Christian life to show how this flows out, and much more could be said, but just in these couple minutes here. Uh, it changes how we worship as God's people to understand why God does what he does only ultimately for his own glory. Uh, That means in a moment, we're going to worship God according to his will, not to please man. Um, Also, not just to please our own preferences, (laughs) Um, but we're here to worship him. Now, we're here, that's the ultimate goal. It doesn't mean only. We're also here to edify one another, to build up the body of Christ, to fellowship. Uh, Do you see how all these are connected? It's not. So one is in the first place, worship God. But we do that through even how we build one another up, uh, even through the worship. So how we worship as God's people corporately and then even separately. Number two, it helps us to hate sin. Helps us to hate sin. It gives us this this, um, wonderful motivation, this ultimate motivation, right? I'm now a believer in Christ. I've been adopted into his family. He's given me a new heart. And now I can actually do that for which he made me to do, which is to glorify him. If I choose to do this sin of which I'm tempted to right now, listen up, heart. (laughs) You can do that, but you realize that you're doing the very thing, the opposite of what you were made for and redeemed for. There's many other biblical arguments not to sin, but it gives this ultimate, ultimate argument to make to yourself, to preach to yourself, to say this isn't who you are anymore. It's who you were, but it's not who you are. And lastly, we'll end on this thought. It gives us powerful assurance. Assurance. We already saw Romans 8.30 that those whom he predestined, they're justified and glorified. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. But, and Dr. Anderson draws this out in his lecture. Romans 9.23, in order to make known the riches of his glory to vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. His, his glory and his name is at stake in your being saved and going all the way to glorification. So his name is on the line, as it were, 
for those that he has claimed for himself. And we see this in the Old Testament often. I did this for my name's sake. I save you for my name's sake. If God's glory is on the line, and if his ultimate purpose is to glorify God, and here to vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory, he will do it. <laughs> um, he will do it. He, salvation and A to Z is of the Lord. Soli Deo Gloria then gives us the kind of assurance uh, that a child can have, but maybe even especially an adopted child can have. When the parent says, son or daughter, I, I did this for you. I, I traveled to get you. I, I strived to get you. I fought and won you and you are mine and you're part of this family and you have a purpose now. That's the kind of assurance that we can have because God works all things, even our salvation for his own glory. So let me pray for us uh, as we close. God, thank you for this glorious truth that is throughout scripture. Thank you that uh, you allow us to, to see you and know you and understand you rightly by the work of the spirit. I pray, Lord, even today that we would live this out as we worship, as we fellowship, as we, as we go back to our families and neighborhoods. I, I pray that we would do all things for your own glory alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.